did I see that you said you're going to do everything live starting in January yeah, or February? That's what or, I want to do. Okay. That's what I want to do, I think. But this is what I, between okay. us. Welcome back to a, <laughs> welcome back to another episode. Seriously. No, we're live. We were la- live last week. We're live again. And in, in one sense, right? This is January. We could, we need, we need the equivalent of when in the movies, when someone's getting kidnapped and they hold up a newspaper, it says the date on it. So you could see <laughs> yeah. proof of life. You yes. have to hold What's it up the and story say, that came out today? it's yesterday's paper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yesterday's paper. <laughs> Uh, so no, we're really here at January. Look, we're going to play you full disclosure, right? You probably saw this from the episode title, but we're playing, we're going to replay you some of the, some clips from some of the most interesting uh, conversations we had with folks throughout 2023. I'll tell you about those in just a second, but we're here live because we want to tell you about something else. And before that though, I'm gonna let you know who I am. My name is Will. Gosh, we off for a few weeks. You just totally out of How to practice rusty. Yeah. Yeah. My name's Will. Enjoy let him drive me, the ship always. by himself. Are my friends, and they're also my co-host, Cat and John. Hey guys. Hey guys. Hello. <laughs> feels feels good to be back in the saddle, even yeah. though it's just for this brief moment ahead of the thirty first. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. John brings up the thirty first because on January thirty first, we're going to start recording our uh, podcast episodes live before our Facebook and YouTube audiences, so you can go on either platform and see us record. But more than that, you can participate in the conversation. So when we're bring up a topic mm-hmm. and you've got a thought about it, you know, pro or con, or you've got a favorite something or other we're talking about, or you want to correct us live instead of emailing mm-hmm. us, uh, you know, some sort of <laughs> vitriol later, you can do it there on Facebook or YouTube in the comments on January 31st at 7 PM Eastern. While it's still raw, while you're still really mad about it, you can tell us right then. Right. You can use all caps <laughs> and then we'll know you're really screaming. Right. Or yeah. you're an octogenarian. Either way, oh. your caps lock is broken. You're one of those broken. things. Yeah. Stuck. Hey, before I forget, I wanted to remind mm. folks that John's also got his own thing going on. You know, because he's a big deal, this guy here, John Reddick. We're lucky Very to have deal. him. That even makes the time <laughs> for us to do it. Uh, but be sure and check out John on his uh, other podcast and YouTube channel, Gen X Grown Up. Because Yay. like all of us, we are Gen X and we are also grown ups. Now, John, mm-hmm. I got to tell you something. Mm-hmm. I, I get yeah. a little confused when I listen to your show because I feel like the theme song, the, the, the uh, I don't remember the gentleman who raps the theme song. Mm-hmm. Beefy. Yeah. He's a nerdcore hip hop artist, Beefy. Yeah. I feel like yeah. Beefy's complaining about being a grown up, but then you're <laughs> seeking it as a sign of, yeah, okay, we're not that kind of grown up, but we are this other kind of grown up and it's empowering. Can you explain? <laughs> I get it. You, you have to hear the whole song in context oh, okay. is what you have to hear. Yeah. So this is an excerpt from a song. If you heard the whole song, but it's, it's a sweet, it's actually a sweet little song that'll bring a tear to your eye. It's oh. about uh, how he's, uh, so knowing his life, he, he married and oh. adopted a, a young daughter that was this woman's daughter. And it's talking about how, you know, like putting on pants was something I signed up for, you know, all of a sudden he had this kind of life of his bachelor yeah. and then he had to kind of grow up. And thinking about his daughter when she grows up and she won't understand right. the weird nerdy things he did when he was a kid. If you hear the whole song, it would make more sense. But. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Yep. Yeah. I, I will do no that. Idea. No, yeah. I'm just used to him saying, I don't want to be a grown up. And then you're like, hey, I'm a grown up. Welcome to the show. I'm like, wait, do I, should I hate him? 
The part I notice is your dinner cannot just be French fries. <laughs> yes, right. that's what I was remember. Yeah. Is that thing? It's like you have to do some adulting. It's what do you really want to do? You know, it's like I really just want to not wear pants and eat French fries for dinner. It's like you can't really do that, but yeah. <laughs> I feel like I understand the confusion. I feel like on Gen X growing up, they do a little bit of that at least. Showing oh, up without yeah. pants and eating French fries for dinner. Oh, plenty right now. In fact, wow. Right? Oh. <laughs> Hey, so on this this episode, so don't forget to join us January 31st. Oh, you know, speaking of that, John. Hey, John, I wanted to check in with you because talking about Mr. Big Deal mm. here, you were at CES in, in Las Vegas. <laughs> That's true. A couple of weeks yes. ago. Uh, can you yeah. tell us what brought you there and how was that uh, trip? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was it was wonderful. So it was it was through connections that I, I had met some vendors and the company oh. My Arcade invited me to come out and be at their booth for a couple of days to help them introduce. Oh, there we go. <laughs> to you know, just my arcade just asked me to come. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> to, to help them introduce their new products that they were showing mm. off there. Now, I didn't know all of them. I knew some yeah. of them because like, we want you to be surprised too, but you know, oh. within 10 minutes, you know, all the new products. And, yeah. and so I got to introduce them to people and, and <laughs> it's, if you look at the Venn diagram of like people who might know my arcades products yeah. and the people who might know who I am, Uh-oh. like the stack was stacked. It was pretty, pretty good overlap of potential. I was thinking it's a circle. <laughs> That's what I, I mean, thought too. Is there any so outside I, I had a few of those, you know, like, hey, love your channel. Nice no to see way. you here kind of thing. Yeah. That was Yay. neat. You know, you get those once in a while, SFGE, but. If, if, if you'll humor me, I'll tell you my favorite story. It's very brief. So <laughs> I'm standing near the new fancy things that are behind glass because, you know, trade shows, a lot of standing around doing nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm just standing there, just looking like myself, bored, <laughs> looking around, you know, bored. <laughs> and like 10 feet from me, I hear this gentleman speaking with a guy I know who I've worked with at my arcade quite a bit. And he starts explaining, well, yeah, well, last year you had this product out and I watched all these videos online on YouTube. And you had that one guy who did this thing and he goes, wait, is that the guy? <laughs> and he points at me <laughs> and, and my friend Michael turns and goes, well, yes, it is. Here's the guy. <laughs> oh my God. So, so he was talking about me in the third person, this person he saw on YouTube. And then I was standing like in his eye line between the guy he was talking to in the wall over there. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the guy. And he was like, oh, how cool. I like your stuff. That was, that was my biggest, I'm a big deal moment of that show. It was fun. John, that is a a great, amazing story. I can imagine that felt very, you know, uh, rewarding and uh, uplifting for the Mm -hmm. work that you do. Because I know you work hard on making these videos. Now, it would have been more funny and more interesting and more rewarding to me if he was like, I was watching this motherfucking asshole. He don't know shit about retro videos. Talking about my arcade, this and that. And is that the guy? And then all six, three of John turns around. Oh, I'm the guy. I, I, what were you I saying? Love your work. Mr. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Right, let's do it again. Oh. Want to tell us about your CSCS? <laughs> All right, no, that's fine. Yeah, this guy was talking shit about me, yeah. and I beat him down there right there on the show. Nice. You put on all your rings, right? <laughs> I was wearing eight on one hand and seven on the other, and I absolutely flogged him. I can't remember if we were talking about cat's rings now or the other the other set of. <laughs> I don't remember either. This is going to be great live. Listen to (laughs) me. 
Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Actually, it will be January. perfect live because whatever we say will already It'll be, be there. there. You know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yes, January 31st. Hey, speaking of that, okay, so you're going to join us live January 31st at 7 p.m. Eastern on Facebook or YouTube. We'll be there and you'll be chatting with us and we'll be chatting with you. Meanwhile, we're going to play you some clips from some interviews we had in 2023. And I'm talking about uh, folks, I'll give you, you guys, remind you guys, because quite honestly, I did a search to figure out, well, who did we speak with? More people oh. than I remembered, I realized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, so you're going to hear uh, clips now from uh, Larry the Duck, uh, legendary oh, DJ yes. uh, Larry the Duck from a, you know, again, mm -hmm. Uh, quite a presence there in the 1980s, and we'll talk about uh, how he helped break records in the 1980s for bands that uh, weren't mm -hmm. other, yep. you know, prior to that, uh, we didn't know them. Uh, we'll talk about Interpolation with Luxury, who's uh, yeah. got his own uh, <laughs> show now called uh, One Song, which is really awesome that he, he hosts, uh, uh, where they go in deep on, on some of these songs, and much the way that he does in his 30-second pieces on uh, TikTok and Instagram. Uh, Slim Sherry, the real Slim Sherry, we'll chat with her about getting older, not getting mm -hmm. old. Uh, yes. Talk about Dream Kid maintaining, or actually how we've got this new sound, you know, of synthwave that yeah. reminds you of the uh -huh. 80s, but didn't exist in the 1980s. Not not commercially, mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. Uh, that was cool. Casting director Joel Thurm, who cast a, pretty much cast the must-see lineup of NBC throughout uh, yeah. the 1980s. <laughs> must-see TV, I should mm -hmm. say. And Alonzo Bowden will remember us, remind us rather how uh, dumb people don't know they're dumb. Which is how we started <laughs> off last year. And, you know, I was thinking about reaching yeah. out to Alonzo and just sort of doing a check and like, are we better now? I, I, but I know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Some people are better. Some people are dumber. Yeah. All right. Hey, speaking of that, I don't know. That's not a good segue. <laughs> Dear listener. Speaking of dumber. All right. Hey, so look, <laughs> listen to these clips. If you're just joining us for the first time, these are just tastes of what we do because we do a whole lot of things. Topics, mm -hmm. true crime, current 80s news, interviews with some folks who were influential in the 1980s or have mm -hmm. carried on uh, the, the, you know, the pop culture and the media of that uh, decade, and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So uh, throughout this month, we've been publishing little tastes of those things. A, um, what's the French word for like getting a little taste? A mouche-bouche maybe or something like that? Mouche-bouche? Oh. Apertif. Apertif. There you go. A yeah, yeah, aperitif. Yeah. All right, so there you go. So check those out if you're in, and if you like what you hear, you can find the full episodes in our catalog. But we'll be back with live episodes in just a week. So you could just join us this week. Hopefully it hasn't passed yet. <laughs> this is one of those things. <laughs> when you're listening. Unless, and if it has, it'll be this week too. There you go. All right. Yes. Hey, we will so Whenever talk you to, hear it, it's this week. Yeah. And any uh, Wednesday coming up uh, in the next several weeks. All right. So we will talk to you live mm -hmm. uh, on Facebook or YouTube uh, some Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Check out these clips and, and we will talk to you again real soon. But talking about, I guess, you know, getting it right. And look, we talked about some of the careers that uh, you helped revive, like Leslie Nielsen. There's a number of other folks who you put on the map in a sense, because again, you don't know what would have happened if you hadn't, but there's folks that you helped uh, uh, start their career, certainly. And I'm talking about uh, Cheers, where you know, when you're talking about casting uh, or talking about the folks there at, that you had to compete with at the studio that wanted somebody else, they really wanted William Devane in the Ted Danson part, but you yeah. saw something else in Ted that they didn't. <laughs> oh God, you're leading me. What's uh, <laughs> my job? The, the thing is, first of all, let's say William Devane not only is a wonderful actor, he was also I knew who I spent time with, you know, uh, all in theatrical situations, but I knew him very well. And he had, was a brilliant actor. He had done Missiles of October, blah, blah, blah. And he was exactly what was written in the script. Mm. That's exactly the way the character was described. But I thought Ted 
was Ted gave you something else. And as I, and, and this is my big argument with Grant Tinker, who then had replaced Fred Silverman because Fred was fired and Grant and Grant Tinker, who had been a boss of mine at MTM took over. And as I'll never forget this, uh, after three people auditioned and the, the other man who auditioned is God, his name just went in my head, football player, Fred Dreyer. Okay. So those, those were the three guys who auditioned. Fred was dismissed because he wasn't funny at all. Right. But then this room, if you can imagine, and not one woman is in this room making this decision about a <laughs> And, you know, it went around the room a couple of times and boiled down to Grant Tinker wanted Bill Devane and I wanted Ted Danson. And finally I said, Grant, more women are going to want to fuck Ted Danson than Bill Devane. <laughs> and Grant, who is very pop, very polite and i mean come on he was he was always dressed like he came out of a brooks brothers catalog with with a easter colored cashmere sweater draped around his shoulders right. when he said the word fuck he visibly g- made a movement as if he was clutching his pearls <laughs> he got the vapors yeah and 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 years later ted never knew this story till about a year ago and he said, you're kidding. That happened? And I said, yes. <laughs> and it's true today about women and Ted Danson. And the show lasted 11 years. So I guess I, I, I was right. And of course, opposite Ted Danson, you, you, you cast Shelley Long. Again, that, that a couple that defined the will they, won't they sort of trope of romantic yeah. comedies from then on. Yeah. And I've got to say, Shelley was everybody's choice. There was no question about that. Right. You know. The, the, the Jimmy Burroughs and the two Charles brothers wanted Shelley Long. Everybody, everybody knew her. So she was, she was a lot from day one. And I think the brilliance came when replacing Shelley with Kirstie Alley. Mm. Yes. That was, it wasn't me, by the way, okay. but it was brilliant. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, absolutely. But what was you was uh, another, again, sort of uh, iconic, uh, Family couple, uh, talking about the who played the mother and father on Family Ties. You you wind up uh, advocating for ultimately who is, is casting that Michael Gross and Meredith Baxter. How is it that? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, it, it's it's uh, Gary Goldberg who wrote Family Ties, a brilliant, brilliant writer, and he came in with what he thought was his dream cast. The, the first person he you know was Donna McKechnie. Hmm. instead of Meredith Baxter. And Donna will be the first person to tell you that she's not an actress. And, you know, she's a magnificent dancer, as anybody knows who's seen Chorus Line. So, and the end, uh, he brought in Chris Sarandon, Christopher Sarandon. Right. Academy Award nominee for several things. But he wasn't funny. And a casting director's brain, or my brain, when I have my scan on Friday... What suddenly popped into my head, and don't, you can't ask me why it popped into my head, but it did. I remembered meeting Michael Gross. I had met Michael Gross after seeing him perform in the play Bent on Broadway, starring Richard Gere. And he played a German drag queen, an Mm -hmm. evil drag queen. (laughs) But when I met him afterwards, in addition to not being an evil German drag queen, (laughs) his voice sounded, if you close your eyes, he sounded like Alan Alda. Yeah, absolutely. What's wrong with that? And he does. And I brought him in and he got the part. That's amazing. By the way, Michael J. Fox was not my idea. That was the wonderful, wonderful casting director, Judith Wiener. But what I did was fight with Brandon because Brandon didn't want uh, Michael. <laughs> yeah. We, look, we can't imagine. I know you mentioned, I think it was Matthew Broderick that was also up for the role who ultimately went on to, to star on Broadway instead. Yeah. 
this, that was the first choice, and right. he was not available. And the second choice, I forgot the name, but he went on to do the lead oh, in uh, Gremlins. Yeah. Galligan, Zach Galligan, yeah. There's this Canadian kid who's in town who, and Judith and I had a great relationship. And I had offered her a job at NBC and she wanted to be independent and take it. But Judith had superb taste, right. superb taste. So um, as you know, she was also the, the casting director for Golden Girls. So she was brilliant. But you also have to know who, who are the same way, a ca- the same way a casting executive, which I was at NBC at that time, has to know who are the good casting directors right. and the right. bad casting directors. Yeah. <laughs> so when you talk about, you know, uh, breaking bands and you're like, you, you made a point, there's a long list. Uh, how does, you know, this station in Long Island, New York, go about finding bands that ultimately become of what we think of like, you know, the second uh, British invasion and, uh, and beyond? So we had sources. Yeah. So the two big importers we used was Dutch East India and Rock Hill Center, New York. Dennis flew to London to do the deal with Rough Trade. So Rough Trade is a label, Rough Trade is a record store they would get all the imports in. And what the deal was, was every Thursday, they would ship us one box of new releases. Wow. <laughs> some of them were signed, some were not signed. Some were just test pressings. And that box would go, he throw to JFK. My staff, as the music director, my staff would meet the plane, get the box, bring it to me. I'd bring it home Thursday night. And that was the beginning of weeding it through. So between the Dutch East box and then the record labels themselves and right. what they had, some things that were alternative, some things that were meant for college radio stations here in this country domestically. But then Rough Trade became a real fighting that golden nugget, you know, the needle in the haystack, so to speak, musically. That's where we found it between those three sources. Wow. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about this. It's so, it's so excited, uh, exciting to, I, I think about my experience in the 80s, just talking to the, you know, the, 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 the kids that worked at the record store, they oftentimes had someone who was spinning records at a record store, just trying to find out what was new and hot. You had it before that. You know, we're looking through yeah, I mean, a, in a, store. a week you gotta, ago, I did a panel discussion yeah. with Dennis um, and Max and Donna Donna. And I actually brought the physical vinyl that I had in those boxes that I saved. Wow. For example, I brought with me, um, there was just a test pressing, wasn't signed, a black magic marker on a white label, this vinyl. Yeah. And it said M-A-R-R-S. And it was pump up the uh, volume. Of course. Mars. So I brought that with me. I put them on easels so people could understand mm-hmm. what we were looking at. And physically what we saw, ironically, was record store day. Mm. Oh, perfect. And it was Earth Day that day too. So it just happened to all kind of fall together on this panel discussion that we did. Yeah. But it was interesting to kind of break down how we got there. Now, I saw like pump up the volume. I realized immediately it was a hit. I called Dennis Friday. I said, holy shit, we have something here. And mm. I said, let me test it. So I would normally test things on Sunday night. So the import show from the box would be off the boat. And that would give me at least two and a half days to go through all the vinyl to make sure that I had the right nuggets for a one hour show every Sunday night. Right. I said, I'm spinning at the Malibu, <laughs> which was a nightclub on Long Island held right. about 2,000 people. And I spun it for the dance floor. Now you gotta realize I'm live on the air uh, and there's no delay and I'm live in the club. No bathroom break, five hours, 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. <laughs> I played this, like it's like doing a focus group. Yeah. And the place went nuts. So I played it off the boat the next night. And then Dennis and I basically put it on the air rotation. We added it. What we, we would used to do is we just put it in the new music bin and it was up to the jocks to play mm. it or not play it. They had freedom of choice. There was no playlist. Okay. So we started playing it on Monday morning, like constantly. When I say constantly, we would never repeat anything within three hours or so. But we had to drop the call letters into the middle of the song because there were mm. radio stations that knew about the song 
It went viral. And they were trying to copy it off the air. Now, it's illegal to rebroadcast wow. someone else's thing. Sure. But they would still try to do it. So you drop the call letters in the song so that if they tried to yeah. or even attempt to, the LIR call letters would be buried in the song. Right. So that's what, that was our little trick. on <laughs> That's Keep a good one for it, too, because there's so much happening constantly that if they were to try to edit that out, it would probably, you know, it would be recognizable by folks familiar with it from listening on, on LIR. So, like you mentioned, you know, you worked at Malibu, and uh, I know you did. You worked at some other clubs too, and you're able to test at least, you know, pump up the volume there. But I, I don't imagine you had that luxury as often. What else? How did you identify what you thought might be a hit? There were times that I thought a song would not be a dance hit would be a dance hit, yeah. like Violent Femme, mm. Blister in the Sun. There's something about that song right. that when you put on that, like. If I, the focus group is if they're starting to see people walk away from the dance floor sure. and you know, you got a little bit of an issue there, right? Yeah. <laughs> there were certain songs you kept in your back pocket. That worked. Obviously you just can't get enough by Depeche Mode. That would work. For some reason, Sanctuary by the Cult has made the people go, wow. Hmm. And they just danced to it. Now there was a dance mix of it too, but there were certain little gems that people, it didn't matter if it seemed like it was an obvious dance hit because Blister in the Sun to me is not an obvious dance hit. Right. But in speaking to Gordon Gano about it, he didn't realize that the song would take off in that direction the way it did. Right. So it was things like that that I would test. Now, there were other things that I would test that I would think, well, is it a hit or not a hit? And maybe I'd react in the club. Or if it wasn't meant for the club, maybe on Off the Boat on Sunday night. So one example would be, I always love this song, uh, the Scottish band, The Blue Knot. Okay. A song called Tinseltown the Rain. Mm. I would play that. And the people in the club would come up to me and say, it's cool. Now, is that something they, maybe early on in the dance evening, you would play it and people would start to get in the groove. But then if I play it off the boat, it was meant more for the masses, right? Because the club was one thing, you know, what you're doing on the radio is meant for more of a wider spectrum of boys. Sure. And you remind me when I was a kid and probably, and I saw you talk about something sort of tangential to what I'm about to say, this idea that in, uh, the 1980s, we were told so often that death was imminent. You know, nuclear apocalypse was imminent. We started hearing about climate change, you know, like in the 70s or 80s. That's imminent. We're basically just fucked. At some point, we're all going to be wiped out. Um, that, I, I, maybe that's why I'm, I was thinking like, I might make it to 23, 24, 25. And after that, it started feeling like, I guess I'm old because I, I didn't, I survived all that stuff. But then at some point I made a decision that I can't get into that headspace because, you know, otherwise then when I truly am starting to, you know, hit 40, 50 years old, I'm going to be in a dark place, just sort of yeah. training myself to accept getting older, you know, but only because I had survived the eighties, I guess. You know, I think that a lot of us grew up very young. We matured at a very young age. Right. We were um, the first generation to have such high divorce rates and single parent homes and homes where a lot of us were latchkey kids, we were left alone for hours and hours. We cared for ourselves. We cared for our siblings, whatever. There's just so many stories out there, right? So we matured. I feel like we kind of peaked very, very early. And so I joke around that we're, we're perpetual adolescents because our growth was sort of stunted. I feel yeah. like because it was during our really formative years and those years where we weren't even, our brains weren't even fully developed yet. Right. Um, that we, we kind of peaked early, you know, we, it kind of stuck us in this state of sort of adolescence and we can mature and we age, whatever, but there's a reason why so many Gen Xers are still a, act like a bunch of, you know, yeah. kids. They're very nostalgic. We kind of hold on to our childhood 
I think more than a lot of other generations either do or have, um, because so much of our youth was lost in that time. You know, we were maturing at a very young age. And so, you know, now I feel like a lot of us are the going backwards, maybe even in, uh, in age and, and just kind of this refusal to grow up, you know, it's like, we're not, we, I, I'm an adult, but I'm not a grown up. I agree 100%. And I come across people that, that, yeah, I don't think I, I mean, there are many of us that are, and the yeah. ones that are, most of us would be like, get the stick out of your ass. Yeah, I, I'm just taking life a little too serious. I agree. I meet some people sometimes that are our same age. I'm going to be 52 in a couple of months that I'm like, you're an adult. Like, how are you? A, you, you seem like a real, like an adult man with responsive. I feel like a kid. And I think part of it is like, to your point, I agree with you 100%. And we're the first generation, I think, that had the technology to continue to listen to the music, watch the movies, see the TV shows that we grew up with, you know? Yeah. Now, you know, years after I think about my father who still watches TV shows from his youth now that he can, but there was a good, you know, 20, 30 years before those things were available. So there was a gap there, but no, we had this sort of seamless transition where we could just continue to live our youths and want to, you're right, because we didn't really have them the way maybe other, maybe those adult people that we're, we're friends with had childhoods that were different, you know, where parents were always available and nurturing. And Well, I do, I think you hit, I think you hit on a point there. I do think the ones that had a more traditional or um, normal, which I don't like the word normal, nothing's sure. normal, but normal childhood, um, maybe have matured differently than we have. And they do take life. Uh, they look at life differently. They see it through a different lens because they didn't have that experience. And so those are the ones that feel the need to correct me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was not the case. Don't speak for all of us, you know, listen, just, you know, you can just scroll on by, you don't have to stop and, you know, not everything that you think should come out of your fingers, you know, um, or out of your mouth, but it's just, yeah, there are some out there that take life a little bit more seriously. Or they're a little more mature. And, you know, I think some of us are envious of that, but I'm also at a point, I, I also really enjoy my adolescent mind. Yep. You know, I enjoy that. I still feel very young mentally. I don't feel old. Right. I don't uh, subscribe to this idea of old or aging. Like we're all age. Everybody's aging every day, right? right? We're all, we're all lucky. If you're lucky, you're going to get old someday. A lot of us didn't make it. You know, a lot of right. Gen Xers and other generations, they didn't make it. They just, yep. you know, I joke around that natural selection is a real thing, you know, that there's <laughs> right. a reason yes. those people aren't here. But, you know, I mean, that the idea of growing up, you know, I, I also joke around about, you know, that the, the song, that Toys R Us song, I don't want to grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid, was some sort of witchy, magical <laughs> you know, juju (laughs) they put on us, like, you know, uh, witchcraft shit that kind of stuck us all in this state of perpetual adolescence and told us we didn't have to grow up. And so therefore we didn't, we still hold on to that idea of like, I don't, I don't want to grow up. I don't have to. And then you have the whole, the whole Peter Pan, you know, Neverland syndrome. That was a big deal. We, you know, and that's a real thing of like being stuck in sort of this idea of, of, um, Neverland. And, and I think a lot of us kind of still, um, see ourselves in that way too, of like, you know, we're, we're just these kids that are in Neverlands and they get to be, get to be kids forever. Even though my body doesn't hold on to its youth, my mind has, you know, except for when I can't, for, I can't remember where I put my coffee or my glasses, but otherwise, um, you, were, you know, that's, you make me think in, uh, in watching your videos, cause I was talking with my co-hosts about this earlier this week, this idea that drawing a distinction between getting older and being old, like let's somebody your videos you talk about rightly, 
the physical things that happen when you get older. Like I pulled mm-hmm. my neck, rinsing my hair in the shower like two weeks ago, and my neck still hurts. <laughs> it That's still hurts, thing. doesn't it? But <laughs> I don't feel old in the sense. And I, I, this thing, these things piss me off, these memes that, and I think they're created by folks in our generation where it's like, if you, you know, if you recognize this image and it's a picture of like a car lighter, you know, car uh, lighter, uh, lighter in a car or an ashtray, you're old. I feel just like, no, fuck you. I'm not, that doesn't mean I'm old. It means I've, I'm older. I've had experience, but I know what the it implication means your experience. is. That's yeah. what I want to get people to start looking at is like, we're not old. We yeah. have more experience than you. That's all, you know, yeah. we have to your point. That's, you know, that's a label that somebody wants to label us. If you did this or you saw that, yeah. Uh, you experience this, that you're automatically in this old category. Yeah. I just give them a big middle finger to that shit because yeah. I'm like, no, I, I don't, I don't subscribe to any of that. Just be, you know, to you, to you, what your point, your point of what you're saying is that they're, they're identifying and labeling us as a, as a something based on that experience. And I, I don't, I just see it as no, I'm just, I'm, that doesn't make me old. That just means that I've, I've been here longer than you. Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm old. Like old is a state of mind. I could be 80 and I, right. you know, not feel old other than the fact that yes, the body reminds us that we are, we've been here longer and we have more experience and all the stupid shit that we did when we were kids or when we were in our twenties is now rearing its head. Yep. Okay. It's now <laughs> saying, listen, y'all that stupid shit you did a long time ago. i I didn't forget. Right. Okay. That's right. what your body's telling you. Um, so yeah, but the, the thing is, is that now they're trying to say that middle age is 35, you know, like yeah. I, I've been reading that. I see memes oh. that say some shit about that, where it's like, you know, you're 35 is middle age. I'm like, the fuck it is. Yeah. That is not <laughs> middle age. Like, I, I don't recall ever at 35 thinking this is the middle of my life. Right. And that's the thing people don't know is that I've always planned to live. <laughs> if the world exists, I always plan to live beyond a hundred. So to me, I'm just hit middle age, man. I just right. hit that 50 mark. I got a whole nother 50 years in me plus, you know? So, but the idea that people are now calling 35 year olds middle age, right. I'm like, when did this happen? And we need to do work to reverse that. You know, in other cultures, people that are older are, they, they're revered, you know, right. they, they look up to them and they, they look to them for their wisdom and their experience and the knowledge that they have that they can pass down. We don't do that. Like we right. frown upon the, the people who are older. We frown upon the wisdom. We frown upon that knowledge. And, you know, we're the, we live in a culture where it's all about being young and I am working hard. I and I will continue to work hard. I'm even going to write a book about the shit of like undoing that idea of, of age, you know, like ages being old is a state of mind. Age is a state of mind, you know? And so it's getting people to see themselves differently. And I get so that's probably why I get so many comments, like so many people who message me just how much I inspire them to see themselves differently and in their fifties and in their sixties and even some in their seventies Right. you know, that are reaching out to me going, you just inspire me to, you know, change their own state of mind and not see, not to, not to subscribe or adhere to a label that society has placed upon us, right. but instead live by our own, live on our own terms and by our own rules. And you don't get to tell me I'm old. I'll, I'm old when I say I'm old. I only recently learned or even considered this because I knew we were going to talk Yeah, that synth, that synth wave 
didn't exist in the 80s. It like you you described it perfectly. No. It's how we think about the 1980s. Yeah. You know how we feel about the 1980s. Yeah, but, it's more about that. So it's more about the nostalgia than the actual cuz if you listen to 80s actual 80s artists, yeah. they don't sound like as as like they don't really sound they are touched into it, but it's not it's just an over exaggeration just like taking every little 80s right. thing you can and just just yeah, and then it's obviously it's a lot to do with this, the movie score music right. from back then, right? But it's yeah. put made into actual songs, not just background music. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a perfect way of describing it because I thought the same thing too. And it's more like uh, you know, Tangerine Dream and uh, Risky Business, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I, how I came to know you is probably how many people came to know you because I, and I saw you posted on posted on your socials not too long ago that you went from 2000 to a hundred thousand followers in five weeks, completely organically. And yeah. it's got to be because of these Always. short videos where you're scoring eighties movie tropes, I, I think. Right. Yeah. It, it actually started on TikTok first. So I had a couple, it only started in October of last year. I, I had a TikTok and I, I did one TikTok and it kind of hit like, I got like a thousand followers in one day and I was like, okay. And I started pushing it a bit and then another video just, hit like one and a half million. And then I was like, okay. And then, and then another one hit like two and a half million. <laughs> and then I started doing TikTok for a couple of weeks. And then obviously I would take the same videos and I'd post them on my YouTube shorts. Right. And then I would post them on, on my Facebook, I mean, Instagram reels. And then the reels just started going like crazy. And now the fed, the Instagram's taken over the TikTok, but they're still going, they're still both kind of simultaneously going, but the fact that they both both kind of took off organically clearly shows that people are into it. So. Yeah, yeah, connecting with this. Yeah, idea. but I, I enjoy doing it. It's fun, you know. So, and and for folks who don't know, and you should definitely check out uh, Dream Kid eighty three on on any of the social platforms. But what Ryan does is he posts a trope essentially, and then you hear him, you know, and see him playing the music that would score that. And I've got some examples here. Uh, maybe I'm paraphrasing some of these. It's 1988. A group of teens are b getting chased on their BMX bikes by an evil villain. Uh -huh. It's 1982. You've joined a gym and ready to make your ex regret leaving you. Uh, which comes first, the, the trope or the music? It can be both ways. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, I'll know exactly. I want to make, you know, some music that sounds like this quote. And then sometimes while I'm doing it, I realize uh, it doesn't really sound like what I was going for. So I'll look like, at the last minute, I'll change the quote to make it suit the music. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I can kind of, yeah, I can go either way. Right. And also depends on my mood. Cause some people are like, can you make more darker, darker ones? And oh. can you make more happier ones? And it kind of like depends on my mood in the day. Sure. Sometimes I'm like, I'm going to make a dark one. I want to make like a real <laughs> futuristic, you know, dark wave. And then, I end up making this happy, oh. <laughs> romantic kind of sounding tune. So it's, I just, I just kind of go with what I feel right. on that particular day. Right. And I and actually, I make them on the day. I'm, I make, I make the song, I film the song and I post them all in, in a few hours. Like I do the whole thing. Wow. Is it, is it do you find it as a, a great creative exercise to even just stay sharp, just doing these things frequently? And Definitely. I think it's good to keep on it. And I had a lot of songs that I was obviously going to, that I thought were ready for my next album. Well, I had like half the songs done. And then when I started doing these reels and TikToks, a lot of those songs I originally had planned, I've replaced them with 
songs that I've made doing all of these videos because I just think they're way better. Any of the uh, songs on your debut album, your self-titled debut album, uh, f- did any of them originate from those exercises? No, no, I wasn't doing these videos when I wrote the debut. The, and the album is, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, it's exactly as you described. It's like taking a movie score from the eighties, you know, f- even going further than that. And some of them have lyrics and it just fantastic. Again, hitting on these different things that we associate with the 1980s, even if they weren't true. Yeah, 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 yeah. That we associate with them. <laughs> yeah, it's just about getting the imagination going. As you say, it doesn't have to be true or, yeah. or realistic. <laughs> I expected when you were singing about America that it was going to be ironic, you know? Because in the 1980s, the movies were fant- happy and the music was happy, but there's a lot of shit going down in America in the 1980s uh, that, uh, you know, I thought maybe it was going to, there was going to be a turn. No, it's more the glamorized movie version of America. Yeah. Yeah. And also coming from someone like me, who grew up in South Africa, who kind of always fantasized about America, just from watching all the movies and that kind of thing, you know? Well, it's, it's funny that, you know, so you, like you mentioned, you you grew up in uh, Durban, South Africa, there, that area that your childhood, just from your bio on your website, it sounds like a 1980s, what people think of as a 1980s America. Uh, and just quoting from your site, uh, having grown up on the sunny eastern shores of South Africa, spending most of his youth surfing, skateboarding, playing guitar, uh, <laughs> starting a, pop, a punk band. I mean, this is like, mm-hmm. this is a 1980s, this is a John Hughes movie right there. <laughs> well, to be honest, um, Durban uh, back then, or well, still now, I suppose, but the, the whole beach promenade is very much like the whole Venice beach okay. kind of thing. Mm. It's weird. Surfers and skaters and people on rollerblades and palm trees. And it was the same kind of life, I would say. Very similar. Right. Because I've even been to, I mean, I've been to Venice and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is quite very similar to how I remember growing up on the beachfront in Durban. So. And what was the music scene like uh, growing up there? Um, we had a lot of American in American bands and the same kind of stuff that you would listen to on the radio. We all kind of got the same thing and UK bands as well. Right. And it was all, I think it was all similar, same stuff that you guys would listen to. I would say. Right. Just to watch like MTV and all that and all the, all the music you would see on MTV, that would be playing on the radio here and stuff. So it all kind of matched up. So when did you look that you mentioned your special and it's hilarious and you touch on a number of different topics, but you know, running through it or certainly, uh, there's a lot, you keep coming back to this idea of, you know, stupid, not getting tired. When is it, or in what context did you, did this occur to you? Well, I think it really started to like comedy comes from what bugs me, you know, there'd there'd be something and it just keeps coming up and you're like, man, I gotta, I gotta talk about this. It was during the pandemic when people just decided science wasn't real for no reason. They just decided, you know, you doctors, you scientists, whatever, not real. You don't know what you're talking about. There's a worldwide pandemic, uh, thousands upon thousands up to 
hundreds of thousands, millions of people die. No, not real. Didn't have. And you just like, how do you argue with that? How do you, when, when, you know, there's no way to argue with it. Right. I mean, people just decided that it wasn't real. And, and it fascinated me. I also have some friends who are doctors and one friend who's a scientist. And I talked to her about, it's like, I don't know how you do your job. You know, when people can just say, yeah, you're you're studying your Ph.D., your years in the lab. Yeah. All fake. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Waste of money. Waste of time. You know, the uh, the Dunning Kruger study was done. The guy, the, what inspired the Dunning guy, I don't remember his first name, was this 1995 bank robbery where when the police all, they, they got the guy on camera, no masks, clear as day. They run his photo on the news that night. They, he, they get a tip immediately. They go to his house. The thing he says to them is, but I wore the juice. And it turns out because when he was a kid, he learned that like what most of us did, learned you could use lemon juice as invisible ink. He thought if he covered mm-hmm. his face, he'd be invisible. Yeah, of course he did. <laughs> and it turns out they said the guy wasn't drunk. He wasn't drugged. He didn't have any kind of mental impairment. And this like, you know what you're saying, fascinated them. Like how could you... <laughs> for lack of a better way of saying, how can you be so dumb as to think you're a genius? I spoke to, um, and and I wish I could remember his name. You know, like I said, last comic was a long time ago. And I don't remember things like I used to, but there was an astronaut. He was a guest on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And we talked to him about the flat earth people. And he Mm. said, yeah, I have to deal with them all the time. And he said, I said, well, how do you deal with it? He said, if the earth was flat, wouldn't the edge be the biggest tourist destination in the world? Like, wouldn't you want to go to the edge yes. and look over? It's a very simple explanation and not one flat earther has been able to say, yeah, why don't we just yeah. go to the edge and look down? Right. <laughs> right. Not even Kyrie Irving, who, as we know, is an authority on so many things. Oh, yes. <laughs> I thought it would, you, you put it perfectly. And the thing that, you know, sort of in your special that it, it was put, give me this angle on this that I had to, considered or remembered is this idea that when we were young, the people who, there were the people who don't know shit, the people who know shit, I'm going to blow up, just completely uh, destroy your routine here. The people who know shit and the people who don't know shit. And the idea that if you don't know something, you just stay in the past, you'd stay out of the conversation. And immediately I could picture a friend who, when we were younger, we would be talking about stuff and he would hang back. I don't, I'm wondering if at that time, maybe he felt bad about it, but unlike today, he didn't want to get on a bus and go to the library so he could come back and, you know, show she has knowledge. Whereas today, folks can instantly at least feel like they know something. Like well, I, like, I, like I said in the special, it's the Internet. Yeah, because in the inter- on the Internet, if you don't know shit, you find millions of other people who don't know shit and then you all agree. You know, you just make up something and you all agree on it. We didn't have that in the past. In the past, there was actual knowledge and people respected that. And if someone who was knowledgeable spoke you and you didn't know anything, you would listen and then be like, "Mm, I just learned something today. Now it's like, no, I'm not going to learn anything. I'm going to find other people that find my misinformation Mm -hmm. correct. Which, again, I get back to, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greens and, the you know, I mean, Trump was was an expert of that. Right. And he led many of them like, listen, I I'll just redraw this map with a crayon. <laughs> and and people are like, yeah, he was right. And you're like, yes. you. but the beauty of it, the beauty of it, Will, is you can't argue with that mm. kind of stupidity because there's it's not based in any fact or logic. So there's no way to argue with yeah. it. You know, 
it's uh <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I, it's tiring. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. And stupid don't get tired. I'm wondering if it, if it's, it seems to me like, I wonder if folks back in the day felt bad about, look, and, and I think we maybe need to make it a distinction because in your special, one of the things I noticed that's sort of a thread or a through line of the whole thing is about context. Like you've got to understand the context of something uh, to, to, you know, to know where someone's coming from, whether it's telling a joke on stage versus telling it at the office or, Using context, you know, you joke at the beginning about uh, people thinking you're a father or, or you being able to <laughs> tell dates. Maybe you had an athletic career. Um, mm-hmm. It's all context. So just for the sake of this, look, we're not saying dumb, uneducated people are necessarily are not of lesser value. We're just saying you brought up a great point because I'm not talking about uneducated people, yeah. uneducated people. They, listen, there's a million things that I know nothing about. Right. right? I just I haven't had the experience or. I haven't read it or studied it. You know, we all have that. That's fine. It's the willfully ignorant. It's when you you're you're taught something or you're shown something and then you just deny that as being real. That's the frustration. Not, you know, like right now, right. We're dealing with the the whole election fraud thing. And we knew it was ridiculous. right? Right. We knew that it was a lie. And now it's coming out that all their leaders on Fox News were lying. And yet the people who believe it are still saying, yeah, but it was still a fraud. It's like, so what what does it take? (laughs) What what proof will work now that the people who were saying it have told you, yeah, we were lying. And you're still like, but you choose to believe the lie. That's the kind of ignorance I'm talking about. Uneducated. Listen, there's there's a ton of things that there's things I learned that I forgot. Don't don't ask me. Yeah. To do geometry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder if part of it is part of what we're talking about is humility, I think, because, you know, like what you said about Einstein, there's a certain humility required to be able to say, I don't know. You know, please tell me, I don't know. And a lot of it to me, and maybe it's along the lines of the age of the internet where everybody wants to have clicks and likes and be famous and have that sort of whatever comes with that, they imagine, they they don't want to have humility. So to say I don't know is so vulnerable, you know, that I'd rather say something fake and say that I know it than be expose myself. Humility is a lost value. And, and in sometimes, some cases, it's very simple. Like if you go to a store, right, and you ask, you know, where, where is something? Yeah. I don't know is an acceptable answer. You don't need to walk me all around the store. You could just say, right. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I don't know where that is. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, people, people right. won't say in the simplest situations, you know, you ask somebody for directions. Well, I think it's over there. It's like, no, you can, you can just say, I don't know. And the, the hilarious thing about it, and you brought it up is, is our phones. We we're carrying computers with access to all the information in the world. Right. Yet we'd still rather sit there and make up an answer yeah. as opposed to just either looking it up or saying, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the Internet, because one of the it turns out one of the studies I found in, in addition to the Dunning Kruger one that you referred to is this thing called the Flynn effect where someone studied, you know, going back to the beginning of the 20th century IQ values. And they found that every decade IQ went up three points. Now, recently they found that after the millennium, it's been going down. And one of the scientists don't know why people are getting dumber. But one of the things is they said, maybe because we have phones, we don't have to know things or remember or memorize things. But 
they're not really sure that that's it. I mean, it could be any number of things. Well, listen, and, and I'll tell you some things that have changed, right? Intellectual became an insult. Right. That's a powerful right. thing. That's a powerful thing. And that happened during the, you know, in the era of the 2000 election, right? When in the Republican Party, and yeah, I do say the Republican Party, because while people say it's both sides, the preponderance of it is on the Republican sure. side. And they decided intellectual was going to be an, an insult. They decided that someone as intelligent and educated as as Barack Obama was bad. I mean, the man taught constitutional law and you say he doesn't know anything about the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. he does. He 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 actually does. He studied. Yeah. He knows, you know, things like that. So I think, again, this willful ignorance. And now we've reached the point and again. I'd love to keep the podcast light, but it's fascinating. <laughs> no, please, whatever. We're, yeah. we're banning books. Yeah. You know, it, it's these are things that and and we have a generation that doesn't even know. But if I had told you 20 or 30 years ago, oh, you know, we're going to be banning books. You know, they, they worship Reagan, right, as the ultimate conservative. If if in the Reagan era you had said, oh, by the way, the United States of America is going to be banning books. You know how you're going after Russia and, and East Germany and you want to bring down the wall and yeah. communism. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to follow them in banning knowledge. It boggles the mind. It's beyond anything you could have imagined. So the fact that we're getting dumber doesn't surprise me. And I dare say it is a willful ignorance. All right, there you go. There's just a sampling uh, of some of the interviews that we had last year in 2023, and we've got more coming this uh, year here. Uh, plenty of interesting folks uh, to chat with about various uh, topics related to the 1980s or folks that made an impact doing something special in the 1980s or folks that grew up in the 1980s and have gone on to some, some greatness, something like that. I, I don't know. I can't tell you. I mean, I will tell you. You'll hear them soon. Whatever. Hey, listen. Uh, join us live uh, January 31st. Hopefully you have it. It hasn't passed yet, but here's a secret, okay, that I want you to know and spread the word. Every Wednesday starting January 31st, we're going to be recording our show live on Facebook and YouTube at 7 p.m. Eastern. So please join us there so you can chat with us in the comments, give your real-time feedback, you know, don't have to just shout out your, uh, you know, podcast platform. Uh, you can shout at us in the comments there, live, right? And also, this first one, we're going to be giving away a prize uh, courtesy of Kokomo Toys and Collectibles. Uh, you can find them at kokomotoys.com. They're an amazing uh, toy store and collectible store. So, so great. They were featured on uh, a toy store near you in Nacelle Production. You know, those fine folks who bring us uh, productions like uh, The Movies That Made Me. Hey, I want to talk to you live when we chat uh, real soon. Uh, so please join us there, and, and I will talk to you then. 